Let's pray before we begin. Lord please let us understand your word and put it in our hearts. May it shape our lives to be more like your Son. In Jesus' name we ask, Amen. Our text this morning is this verse, listen to it carefully. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject unto bondage. Get it. And deliver them who through fear of death. Are you afraid to die? Are you afraid to die? Who through fear of death all of their lifetime were subject unto bondage. I recall when I was a little boy, I had a grandfather. I started to say grandpa, but you folks up here say grandpa, and you can't pronounce anything. And, uh, but, uh, I had a, I had a, my grandpa, we used to call him grandpa. You see, our grandpa's house, everybody ought to have a grandfather. Never thought I'd be one someday. I looked in the mirror sometimes and said, do I look like he looked then? I recall the message came that Grandpa was dying. And I can see that little unpainted frame house built on bricks way out in the country. Just at a little bend in the road and a, far, and a big barn across the street. Later on, Uncle Chess and Aunt Maggie lived there. But I can, I can still see, Grandpa used to, used to be a lot of fun. I can still recall us getting, getting in a Model A Ford and driving down to Grandpa's house. But Grandpa was dying. And I can still recall, by the way, this is my Grandpa Hiles, my father's father. And I can still recall how spooky and eerie it all was. Folk died at home back in those days. Not many folks went to the hospital to die. And I can recall standing outside, all the family walking outside of Grandpa's house and uh, wondering when it would be. I can recall the doctor coming and the preachers, two preachers came by, and the evangelist and the pastor came by. Little country church, country preacher, I way out in the country. And I'll never forget how I felt when I went to Grandpa's funeral. I looked at his face, I was just a kid, and my mother asked me if I'd like to touch it. I'll never forget how I reached up and over the casket and put my hand on Grandpa's face. So cold and a chill and a fear went through my childish soul. Death. Death. I'll never forget when my father died. I was a preacher. I'll never forget how cold his face was. There is a fear and a bondage that haunts this human race all the time. No generation has been so aware of this fear as this one. A new crop of books has been printed about death. Death 
has become the most popular seller. A new magazine called Omega, or publication, a journal, Omega has been begun, which is dedicated completely to dying and to death. Two to three new books are published every week, every week in our country on the subject of death. Never has been a generation, I'm sure, at least in this nation, that's been so death conscious as is this one. Six new books for children, little children's books, have been published in recent days about death. A Chicago psychologist or psychiatrist has written a book called On Death and Dying, published by the Macmillan Company. And 720,000 copies have already been sold. And its 13th edition is now being printed. There is a new movement in uh, London, and I think now, if I'm not mistaken, New Haven, Connecticut. There's a new movement, new movement where they're building what they call a hospice, H-O-S-P-I-C-E, a hospice. You know what a hospice is? It's a place where you go to die. When you know you can't get well, when you know you're going to die, you go there and all the people there are dying people. And they have the, the, uh, place so attractive and so peaceful, they're trying to color death and make death more attractive and more peaceful and more tranquil and more serene. And uh, they say that all across this nation, in a few years, each city or each neighborhood will have more than a hospital, but a hospice where people who cannot get well, who know they're dying, who are terminal cases, can go and be with nobody but the dying as they die. It is a fad on our college campuses now to study offer courses about death. There is a new title now for scholars, for a new scientist or scholar called thanatologist. It's a new term. People who whose job it is to help you get ready to die. By the way, that's what my job is. I guess I'm a thanatologist. Um to get ready to die. It is their job to, to study death and to help you prepare for death. There is a, uh, a, there are classes all over America now in most of our big cities called, uh, I think it's called thanatology classes where people, and by the way, <clears throat> the more educated Formally, and I'm not, I don't like that word more educated because the only difference in those who've been to college and those who haven't is that you're ignorant on different subjects. But I, uh, they say that the more formal training you have, people have, the more they love to study or go to these classes. Could it be that they're more afraid of death than others? And they say that now then their study groups, just like up in some cities they have groups where expectant mothers come and prepare for childbirth. And they have study groups where people come and learn how to get ready to die so they can die more gracefully. They say that 
<coughs> death is so it's put, been postponed. Most of our contagious diseases now um, have uh, are we're beyond that because most most their, most every disease has some kind of a of a um, intoxi- uh, uh, intoxication inoculation. That's the one. There's none far, but some kind of vac- vaccine that can help you prevent it. And they say that most children nowadays grow to adulthood and never lose. A, a family member, and most adults, when they, most people, when they reach adulthood, have never seen a corpse. Our magazines are full of articles these days about how to die. Our newspapers have articles. In fact, I, <coughs> I, I prepared this message, and this morning, as I left home, the newspaper was out uh, on the porch, and I picked up the Chicago Tribune and didn't read it, just just opened it, and uh, and on one of the just looked at the section trying to find out who won the ball games and uh, or trying to find out how much the Cubs got beat. And uh, so I uh, uh, noticed a big article about this very thing, giant article in the Tribune today about death. Why? Because in this so-called enlightened and yet pagan age, we have become more death conscious. We talk about death. We sing about death. We study about death. We fret about death. We prepare physically for the ordeal of death more than we've ever done so in the life of our nation. Why? We're death conscious. The simple truth is the very hour we begin to live, we begin to die. And the truth is this is not the land of the living. This is the land of the dying. You were born, and then you began dying, and every person in this house this morning is going through the process of dying. I have glasses on this morning. Part of me is dying. Some of you have to pay this morning. Thank God I'm not losing my hair. I'm keeping it in a box. <clears throat> I'm going to have a toupee made of my own hair, and I can say it's mine. But I mean, a part of, part of us is dying. Some of you have hearing aids on this morning. A part of you is dying. Some of you have, have bridges or false teeth this morning. Some of you is dying. Man is like the arrow on its way to its ultimate destiny. Man is like an army in single file, marching ever so slowly and ever so surely, one by one, toward a precipice. And yet, in spite of the fact that all of us have to die, folks die so differently. I've been watching folks die for over a quarter of a century. I've seen hundreds of people die, and scores of people have died with their heads cradled in my arms. I've watched many a person take his last breath, and in spite of the fact all of us have to die, all of us must face the same thing, and all of us shrink or shirk or, or pull back from it. And this is natural as can be. Nobody wants to die today. In spite of that fact, people die so differently. For example, when A.J. Gordon, pastor of the great church in Boston, Massachusetts, died, the last word he said was, Victory! And then he went on to be with the Lord. On the other hand, when Thomas Paine died, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
Strange thing. Folks don't die alike. When Elizabeth Barrett Browning died, God bless her, I love to read the, the poetry of Elizabeth Barrett. Two of my favorite poets are, are Elizabeth Barrett and Robert Browning. Elizabeth Barrett was an invalid. She could not as much as lift up her head from bed. It is said that Robert Browning came to see her, and she had not raised her head up from the pillow in many, many months. Robert Browning came, and on his first visit, she lifted up her head. She liked him a lot. On his second visit, she sat up in bed for the first time in months. On his third visit, she eloped with him. When Elizabeth Barrett Browning died, she said, It is beautiful. On the other hand, when Voltaire died, he said, I must die abandoned by God and men. Until this time, I thought there was neither God, nor heaven, nor Jesus Christ, and now I know they're all, oh, oh Jesus, oh Christ, oh Jesus Christ, it is hell to be left alone. And the nurse that attended Voltaire when he died said, I will never be a nurse for anyone who's sick again unless he's a Christian. Strange how different Folks behave when they die. Thomas Edison, when he died, said, It is very beautiful over there. On the other hand, Napoleon said, What an abyss lies between me and the eternal kingdom of Christ. Both of them had to die. So different was their death. Uh, Catherine Booth, when she died, uh, General Booth's wife, said, I'm not going under, but over. And yet Charles Darwin, that fellow, uh, who gave us this, the, the, the Darwin theory of evolution, who's been believed by pseudo-scientists all these years and, and uh, two-bit uh, school teachers, said, I was a young man with unformed ideas as he died. He did not die believing evolution. He did not intend for it to be accepted as these second-rate scientists and third-rate school teachers have so done. Interesting, isn't it? Savonarola, when he died, said, they said to Savonarola, now we'll separate you from your church. And Savonarola said, from the church militant, but not from the church triumphant, as he died. On the other hand, a preacher down here in, in eastern Indiana, when he died, a famous evangelist, if I called his name, most of you would know his name. Dr. Walter Wilson told me, that preacher who preached for years, unconverted, when he came to die, he called Walter Wilson to his bedside and said, Walter, I've been lost, I'm going to hell, I'm burning, help me Walter, help me Walter. Interesting how different folks die. We're all marching toward the same place, same destiny. Or the same end of life. We all have the same dread, the same fear, the same uh, uh, lack of a desire to go soon. Interesting, isn't it, how John Wesley said, I'll praise, I'll praise, farewell. And yet, one man said to me, go with me, preacher, go with me. He reached out as he died and pulled his hand, pulled, pulled my shoulders with his hand and pulled me as he tried to underneath the oxygen tent and said, go with me. Go with me. Interesting how different folks die. Adoniram Judson said, and I like this, Adoniram Judson, when he died, the last words he said were, I go like a boy bounding away from school. Huh? Remember when three o'clock in the afternoon came? Huh? Good night. I can recall, we used to sit, we used to sit like this, just, just like this, waiting for the bell. You know why? We were the first one through the door. You know why? I'll be the first one to the ball field. And, and Judson said, I go. 
like a boy bounding home from school. On the other hand, one preacher said, or one, one person said, I'm burning. Up in Linden, Texas, where I was preaching in a revival one time, I went to the hospital, and a, pre, a, a, a person said, a man said, he's dying, I'm burning, I'm burning, I'm burning. Interesting, isn't it, how different folks act when they die. What's the difference? What's the difference? Hebrews said <coughs> that Jesus came that he might deliver us who through the fear of death were all their lives subject to bondage. Say, you don't have to be subject to that bondage. You don't have to be afraid to die. You say, preacher, aren't you afraid to die? No, I'm not. I'm not. You know why? Because years ago, I decided that I was going to be delivered from the fear of death which all of a person's life can make a slave out of. I'm not going to be a slave of something that Jesus has already conquered. You don't have to be afraid to die. Now, don't misunderstand me. When I get sick, I doctor. And I do not want to die today. But I tell you why. I don't want to die today. I've got some things I want to do. I've got some plans. I, I want to be sure of this, and I want to do what I can to be sure this nation is decent for my children and grandchildren and your children and your grandchildren before I die. But I'll be honest with you. I've been there a time or two. I've been within that, within one second of death, not because I was ill. On my fifth parachute jump, I jumped out of the airplane. Eight seconds is all you have to fall. You count 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. That's three seconds. And your parachute opens. And mine did not. I pulled the reserve. I tried to pull the reserve. And pulled it. And about that time, the main chute came open too. Now you've got two chutes open. Any paratrooper knows that two parachutes open is one of the most dangerous things in the world. They'll collapse each other. And my main chute became what they call a steamer. And, for, and I fell for seven seconds before my reserve chute opened. Completely. And I was in one second of death. I've been on airplanes when the engine caught on fire. I was on an airplane one day with a Christian science lady. She's up in years. I witnessed to her on the ground. I said, you ready to die? She said, death is not death. You just think you're dead. <laughs> we took off on the airplane going to St. Louis, Missouri in a Convair 8A plane. Pilot came on the, on and said, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to land as soon as we can because we have an engine that the, 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 the light that tells about a fire in the engine is on. She said, oh my, 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 what, what do you think is going to happen? I said, why are you worried? Well, she said, we could be killed. I said, no, you just think you were killed. <laughs> you just think you were killed. She said, this ain't no time to be funny, sir. I said, lady, let me tell you something. That garbage you've sworn yourself to and that heresy and that cult to which you've which you sworn yourself, it didn't, doesn't help you when time comes to die, does it? You don't have to be afraid to die. No, you don't. No, you don't. You say, preacher, do you, do you love to think about death? No, I, I do not want to go through it. I just don't want anybody else deciding what I wear anywhere. 
And I don't want anybody to put me in a hole in the ground. The guy could suffocate down there. I don't like the thought. I like the thought 10,000 times better of the trumpet of God sounding and the archangel shouting and the dead in Christ rising and me rising to meet the Lord Jesus Christ in the air. But I'm not afraid to die. No, I'm not. Why? I'm not going to be a slave all my life. I'm not going to get up in the morning and say, oh, my soul, if I die today. I'm not going to do it. Now you say, preacher, how can a person be delivered from this slavery or bondage or fear of death? There's a way. I'll give you a few of them. Well, of course, the, naturally, naturally, what you got to do is lose the sting. Paul said, oh, death, oh, grave, uh, uh, death, where's thy sting? Oh, grave, where's thy victory? Dr. DeHaan, I heard him tell it years ago on the radio, when Richard, who's now in charge of broadcast, a little boy, <coughs> Dr. DeHaan said, and I was a kid and I heard this, he said, uh, Richard was out playing in the yard. He got stung by, I think it was a bee. And uh, and so uh, he came in and said, Daddy, I got stung by a bee. And uh, Richard had asked him one time to tell him what the scripture means, Old death, where is thy sting? And Dr. DeHaan said, Richard, when it quits hurting, I won't tell you something. And after it quit hurting, Dr. DeHaan said, where did the bee sting you? And Richard, as a little boy, reached down and said, right there, Daddy. And Dr. DeHaan told Richard that beautiful story. How that when a bee stings you, it leaves its stinger inside your body. Can't sting anybody else. He said, Richard, that's what Jesus meant when he said, Oh, that's what Paul meant was old death. Where is thy sting? Jesus Christ walked up to death and said, Sting me! And death put its venom in the body of Jesus. And when, when, when the, the sting of death was inserted into Jesus. He bore the sting of death for all men. From that day, as long as there be a world, as long as there be a living human, nobody has to have the sting of death anymore. Why? Jesus took the stinger out when he died on the cross. If you preach your preacher, how do you get the stinger out? Let me give you a few very practical things that will help you. And the thing, reason why I'm not afraid to die. In the first place, realize that death is not death for the Christian, but it's a shadow. Twenty-third Psalm says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of death. Nope. David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, a shadow cannot hurt anybody. Death is not death. I, I preached down in East Texas for years and years, or seven years, I preached, I preached death is not death for a Christian. Death is only a shadow. It looks like death. It sounds like death. Folks think it's death. You go where the dead go. As far as your body is concerned, you're a bomb like the dead. You get in a casket like the dead. But I say when a child of God dies, and I believe this with all of my soul, I believe this, I believe when a child of God dies, he does not die. Jesus said, he that believeth in me shall live and believe me shall never die. We said, what happened to my grandpa? What happened to my mother? She went through what looked like death. The shadow looks like the real thing, but it's only a shadow. I preached that for several years in East Texas, and an old lady was dying one day. And I went to her bedside in a little country home, and I said, uh, I said, God bless you. They say you're going to heaven. And she said, preacher, you were right. And I said, how? She said, you were right. And I said, what do you mean? She said, you were right. And I said, what do you mean? She said, it's just a shadow. And then she went into a coma. It's just a shadow. Let me illustrate. <clears throat> I, uh, there came to our church one day in Texas. I asked her to come. Name was, was Mills, Bill Mills. I think it was Bill. 
Anyway, Mills was a, an ex-convict. In fact, he had been sentenced to die in the electric chair and actually had gotten in the electric chair and somehow, while he was in the chair, a pardon came or something got delivered and the fellow got saved. And he spent his life, he got the electric chair, got ele- got electric chair, spent his life carrying the electric chair around from church to church. And uh, so he put the thing up here on the platform in our church and he said, now then, pastor, <laughs> he said, come and have a seat. I said, one of the deacons had plugged that thing in. And uh, he said, one of you deacons come. I said, hold it. Let me choose the one. But I was a little leery about sitting in that thing. So finally, I got the plug. I held it in my hand and sat down in it. It lost its sting, thank God. Wasn't plugged in. Lost its sting. Did you know when Jesus died on the cross, he unplugged the power of death and unplugged the sting of death. He took the plug out. Now, I was sitting in the electric chair. I was, it looked like I was in an electric chair, but it was an electric chair. It was just a chair that was shaped like one that could be used for one. It was but a shadow. When a person realizes that for the Christian, the child of God, when he dies, it is not death. It's only a shadow of death. Then you won't have to be afraid to die anymore, will you? I'm talking to folks this morning who are dying. You don't, most of you don't know it. I'm talking to folks this morning in this room who are terminal cases of incurable diseases. They're here this morning. And we say, oh, and, and, I, and I say the same thing. But I mean, I say to you, wherever you are, you don't have to be afraid. Now, I don't blame you for, I'd want to stay, I, I mean, I'd want to stay too. I would want to die. I'd want to see this building when it's finished. In 1980. I'd want to, I'd want to be able to tour the new college, college campus and see the beautiful campus when it's all ready for this fall. I want to stay and see what's going to happen about Watergate. I want to stay and live a while and enjoy life a while because I do enjoy life, but you don't have to be afraid to die. You may not want to die yet, but you don't have to be afraid to die because death is not death at all. Now, if you're not saved, you ought to be afraid. Tremble. Tremble! You ought to be afraid. But if you've been born of the Spirit of God, the stinger's been taken from death and the plug has been unplugged, and uh, you don't need to be afraid. There's a second reason why you don't have to be afraid to die and why I'm not afraid to die, and that is this. Um, If you get to know Christ real well, it'll be easier for you to die. I don't mean just be saved. I mean know him real well. Let me illustrate. Here's here's somebody, young lady, young folks, you listen while I'm preaching. Here's a young lady who... um, she goes to Tokyo, Japan, because she her her husband is there. Young husband is there. Now, if she went to Tokyo, Japan alone and knew nobody, there could be nothing any more dreadful to go live in Tokyo. But all of a sudden, someone that she loves, the one that she loves, well, she loves all the rest of the world, but together, he goes to Tokyo, and all of a sudden, Tokyo is a fine city, a beautiful city, the city she doesn't live in, and any city in the whole world. Why? She knows the person she knows best lives in Tokyo. And I want to tell you something, the person I know best lives in heaven. And if you'd get to walk with God and fellowship with God, and walk with Him, and get to know Him, and talk with Him, and love Him, it would not be so hard to die. 
That's why Paul could say for me to live this price, to die is gain. He said, I, I'm in a, I'm in a uh, straight betwixt two. He said, I want to live because you need me. But he said, I, I want to die so I can go to heaven. He said, I, I don't know which I want. He said, I have a, a little leaning toward going on to heaven. That's what I want, but you need me here. But he said, if I die, it's gain. Good night. Why do Christians have to tremble about death? No need to. No need to. Get to know Christ better. There's a third reason why I'm not afraid of death, and that is because I have sent so many folks ahead. I have sent so many folks ahead. A lot of you folks, when you die, you're going to, you, they're going to introduce you all over heaven. You won't know anybody there. You've been hanging around at bars, and if you get to heaven, uh, you've been you've been hanging around the wrong crowd. Never come to church. Just, most of you folks know more about. I don't even know any of these these modern day television stars. What's this colored fellow? On television, night. What's his name? Famous colored comedian. Scared to tell me, aren't you? Because you're a coward. I don't know, really. People come to me and say, oh, oh, what's that program? No, no, Joe. A lady, big fat lady, that she got saved recently in a church in Dallas, Texas. Uh, is, that, is, it, is it called The Jigs Up or, or, is it H-I? No, no, Joe, tell me what it is. Huh? Hee-haw, hee-haw, yeah, hee-haw. That sounds like a spiritual name for a program, doesn't it? Hee-haw. I was up in the baptismal dressing room of the, of the night. One of the deacons up there said, Did you hear about this gal from hee-haw getting saved? I thought he was talking about the old Grey Mary got saved or something. <laughs> gal hee-haw, hee-haw. I said, What in the world is hee-haw? He said, It's a television program, hee-haw. Said that she got saved. I don't know what hee-haw is. Well, you folks, when you get to heaven the first night, if Channel 5 doesn't have hee-haw on, you won't like it. But you spend 25 years like I have getting people saved and sending them on to heaven. Boy, you wait, brother. You just wait. Boy, there's going to be a brass band playing for me. When all the people... By the tens of thousands that I've sent to heaven, and thousands of them, I've gotten on my knees beside him and told him how to be saved. You wait! You just wait till I get there. I went down to Jackson, Mississippi the other night, the other day to preach. And I got off the plane at the airport. And I walked in. And I heard somebody blowing a horn or something, making a bunch of noise. I looked up and they had a big banner, said, Welcome to Pastor of the large, World's Largest Church. And they were singing a song and uh, welcoming, and all of, I felt like a fool. All the people looking at me at home, and the, and a bunch of great crowd of people had come out, and and uh, they took my bags and escorted me right down through the the, the with hundreds or uh, scores of people all around me, and they were singing and welcoming me, and they had a lot of special things in my honor. You just wait till I die. You wait till all those people I've told about Jesus. I was thinking this morning about that fella at Bader Hospital in Dallas, Texas. Uh, I wrote his name down. I forgot it all of a sudden. Carter, Mr. Carter, was dying with cancer. His wife was beside him. He, he lived, I guess, two or, three, two or three months after this. Somebody said, go see him, but he's hard as nails. He, he, he'll kick you out. He's, he's hard as nails. I went to see Mr. Carter. I told him about Jesus. Oh, he said, I will wait till I feel it. And I began to pray. And while I prayed, he said, Preacher, a reverend, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. He said, Reverend, it's wonderful. 
And I, I prayed. And finally I realized he was getting saved. And I told him, prayed the sinner's prayer. He said, dear Lord, be merciful. Oh, he said, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Unto me, a sinner. It's wonderful, preacher. It's wonderful. Lord, save my soul. He punched me with his elbow. He said, it's wonderful, preacher. It's wonderful. And after he got saved, he said, it's wonderful. And I, he said, I looked over his wife. I said, Mrs. Carter, are you saved? She said, yes, I am. He said, no, you ain't. No, you ain't. She said, why do you say that, honey? He said, because we've been living together 40 years, and you ain't never said it's wonderful one time yet. <laughs> so she bowed her head and began to pray the sinner's prayer, and all the time she was praying. She, Dear Lord, be merciful to be a sinner. He'd say, honey, ain't it wonderful? Ain't it wonderful? Ain't it wonderful? It wasn't long until he died, and he had my picture on his breast, and his hand over his heart. Over my picture, he had a little New Testament that I'd given him when he got saved at the hospital. Yeah, it's wonderful. I'm a little concerned about Christians that are always afraid to die. I'm a little concerned about Christians that that haven't yet learned. Listen, listen. If there is a city that is filled with people whom I used to know here and whom I have sent there, and if I'm going to be welcomed into heaven with a great army, a city of people whom I have sent to heaven, why should I dread that? Why should I dread that? There's another reason why I'm not a great deal afraid to die. And that is because I do hear pretty well what they do there. Anyhow, last night, <clears throat> Dave, where were we? Dave and I were, let's see. Oh, he had to ride back with me to church last night. And uh, he said, Dad, why don't we do something for Tommy Vineyard? He just got home from the hospital. And I said, okay, son, what do you want to do? He said, let's go buy Montgomery Wards and buy him a baseball club. He said, I think the teenagers would like to like, like to give it. And I said, okay, the, the teenagers buy him the bat and the ball and the glove, and I'll buy a catcher's mitt. And so we went, Montgomery Wards just took that long. And uh, got the, I don't. And we, we walked in the sporting department, walked by some golf clubs. And I remember the days when I went out to relax, <laughs> relax. <laughs> you play golf like I play. You have to go to the psychiatrist and you get through. And I went out to relax, playing golf. <laughs> and I thought, thank God, I've been delivered from the bondage of that. <laughs> and I saw a bowling ball. I thought about how I used to. That's the that's the only time in my life I've ever kept my mind in the gutter is when I go bowling. <clears throat> and I said to Dave, he walked out the door, I said, Dave, it's hard for me to realize that my life could have been so wrapped up as a young young person with sports. I love sports. Boy, I love sports. But I said, I, I don't ever want to do much of that stuff anymore. Man, I used to live to pitch, pitch softball. Man alive. Uh, the other day, I like, I like to keep my, my short sleeves rolled up. If you notice when I wear uh, slacks and short sleeve shirt, I roll them up. I never knew why. Bill Harvey said, I'll tell you why. 
He said you used to pitch softball. He said any softball pitcher keeps his sleeves rolled. I didn't realize it before. I don't like them. They tickle my arms, you know. And, and I don't like it. I, oh, I used to love to softball. And, uh, but I, uh, I said, it's amazing, isn't it? And uh, I said to Dave, I said, son, you don't do much of that anymore, either do you? He said, no, Dad, I'm too busy. He said, I was out in California preaching for a youth camp, and they heard I used to play on a high school basketball team, and he said, they asked me to come out and play with them. <clears throat> and he said, I said, he said, I said, Lord, please help me to hit the basket some. He said, Dad, I went out and hadn't shot a basket in a long time, so I couldn't miss. Hey, they just stayed with their mouths hanging open. I just couldn't miss. I said, Dave, God's that way to us preachers. I hadn't bowled in five years. I was out in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Curtis Coleman out there is an athlete. He'd rather beat me at something. He never has. But he wants to beat me at something. He, so he bowls a lot. After service one night, he said, let's go bowling. I said, man, I haven't got time to go bowling. He said, oh, come on. I said, I haven't got time. He said, look, one game. I want to beat you at something. He said, you're a coward, coward. I said, man, let's go. I hadn't bowled a game in five years. Hadn't had my hand the bowling ball in five years. Walked out, picked up the ball, four straight strikes. Bowled 239, walked off, got in the car. <laughs> <Y'all>. <laughs> Say, you're a good bowler? Nope, not a good bowler. I bowled every week. I wouldn't bowl 150 average, but I, but the, the Lord knew I needed to show that cocky preacher. That <laughs> don't do that much anymore. Now, I'm not, now I'm not against bowling, but I'm not going to get too wrapped up in it because they, they won't bowl up in heaven. I want to do things down here to get me in practice. As you know, most all the stuff I do, I can keep on doing when I get to heaven. It's not going to change my lifestyle a great deal. Huh? I stay in this book every day, I guess an hour more, sometimes two and three or four hours a day. I'm going to take this with me. <laughs> Did you know this was in heaven before it ever came on earth? Forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Live in it, love it, read it, memorize it, study it. When you get to heaven, you won't be so bad to die then. All you folks, when you get to heaven and have to have Bible study, we'll spend half a day looking for the book of Hezekiah. A lot of you don't even know what testament it's in. How many of you think it's in the New Testament? How many think it's in the Old it's not in the Bible at all. <laughs> See there? Sorry about that. I mean, if you talk to God a great deal, I, I talk to God pretty well most of the day. When I'm on the road especially, I talk to Now, so when I get to heaven, I'm just, I, I'm just going to... The only difference is I'll, I'll see Him while I'm talking to Him. That's the only difference. You have to be afraid to die. Let's take two people. They go to a football game. One fellow knows nothing about football. Other fellows studied and studied and studied and studied. They go to the game. They sit side by side in the grandstand. Side by side. 50-yard line. One one fellow six inches on this side. Other fellow just right. 50-yard line. Same price ticket. Same team. Same ball game. One fellow says, Hey, quit that red dogging. Other fellow says, I don't see any red dog. What's the difference? One knows the rules. The other one doesn't. 
Fellow says something. Says, uh, that's a, that's a split T offense. Split T. Split T, says the other. What brand of T? He doesn't have any idea. And so one says, well, wasn't that a good game? Those, I didn't understand. Well, I saw some plumbing down here, but a bunch of fellows chasing a little piece of pork. I know. Same game. Did you know that's why some people die and say, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. John Wesley said, my people die well. And that's what I want for you. I want you to die like the man whose name is on his pulpit. Old Brother Tudor. Who was dying in the middle of the night. The nurse, the nun, came in up St. Margaret's Hospital and said, You better call your priest. You're dying. He looked up at her and he said, I am a priest. Oh, I didn't know you were a holy father. He said, I'm not a holy father. She said, you said you were a priest. He said, I am a priest of God. Now, he said, if you want to call my pastor and let him come up here and rejoice with me while I go to heaven to see Jesus, that's okay. But he said, I don't need anybody to come. I've already taken care of my ticket. I'm ready to go. My people die well. They die well. How about you? Are you afraid to die? If you're saved, you have no right to be afraid to die. There's no need. There's no need to live a lifetime being hounded by the hounds and the hordes of a, in slavery that's caused by fear to die when Jesus, God's son, with the Calvary, he tasted death for all men that he might take the sting out of death and look up to death, look it square in the eye and say, oh death, where is thy sting? Oh grave, where is thy victory? The sting, the sting of death is sin and the sting of the grave is the law. But he said, don't you look at it and say, I won't be afraid of you. Why? Because you're only a shadow. I'll not be afraid. I'm going to be with Jesus when I die and all the folks that have gone before that I've sent. But if you're not saved this morning, you have a right. You have a right to be afraid. Yeah, reach out and touch the cold body of someone and pull back and say, Ooh, I see them at funerals for the hundreds. I stand here at the head of a casket and I watch the saved people come like John and Madeline Penley did when little Danny Penley had died at the age of four with leukemia. They come and smile and they have a tear maybe in their eye but a song in their heart and a hallelujah in their soul. Why? They know that Danny's with Jesus. That's why. And yet I see others come who are not prepared to die. You can tell by the way they're dressed, most of them. Or the way they wear their hair, that cynical look, or the way they listen to the preacher while he's preaching. And they come down this aisle, and here's the casket, and there's the corpse. And they go. Oh, they may not even walk up to the casket and look in the face of the corpse. They may just quickly make a turn, go back. Why? Shake your head. Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. It matters not how much you shake your head. You can't forget it. You've got to die. 
you've got to die. And the only way you can escape the fear of death and not be a slave to it the rest of your life is for you to come to him who's taken the sting and the stinger out when he tasted death for you. So he could say to you, he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Would you bow your heads for prayer, please? Are you afraid to die? It may be you're not in the Bible enough. Are you afraid to die? It may be you don't walk with God enough. Are you afraid to die? It may be you don't spend enough time with God's people. Are you afraid to die? Are you afraid to die? Or it may be that you're not saved. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. How many would say, Preacher, the sting of death is out for me. For I'm born again and I know it. Oh, I may not rejoice to think about death and I may sweat some when I think I may be going to die. But I know that he who took the stinger out will give me an anesthetic at death that will make it not hurt. I'm born again and I know it. Thank God I know I'm saved. If I died today, I'd go to heaven. Can you say that? I mean, can you honestly say it? I mean, can you say it and mean it? If you know that if you died today, you'd go to heaven because because you're born again, you could tell about it if you had to. Lift your hand with heads bowed. If your hand is down now, it could be up. You can lower your hands. Thank you. Now, you were very honest if you didn't raise your hand. I appreciate your honesty. Could I beseech you to be just that honest one more time? You were honest in the fact that you did not raise your hand when we did. Would you be consistent in that honesty by raising your hand while we don't? I wonder how many of you would say for the Hiles, I could not raise my hand a minute ago because I do not know that I'm ready to die. I'm afraid of it. I don't know that I'm saved. Oh, Brother Hiles, I wish I had that peace that you talked about this morning. I wish I had that peace, not wanting to die yet, but not afraid to die. Thank you for listening, and if you like this, please subscribe and consider liking my Facebook page and joining my group Jesus Answers Prayer.